0: To God be the glory for the things he has done. For tonight's Lenten message, I read earlier the passage found in 1 Kings, the 18th chapter and the 36th through the 40th verses. Uh, Reading again, just for those who may have joined us now, it reads, At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I want to also introduce a second text which will help to support the message that I intend to preach tonight. This second text comes from the book of Psalms, the 11th Psalm, reading the third through the fourth verses. Here we find these words recorded. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. If you have lived long enough on this earth, you will probably come to learn that life is filled with challenges and confrontations. Some of these challenges are easily overcome because you have been endowed with gifts, the talents, and the abilities to conquer them. Other challenges may take a little more out of you, And as such, you depend on the help of others to see you through. But every now and then, you are met with a challenge or a circumstance for which neither you nor with help from others uh, you are able to overcome. These kinds of challenges are unique in that, no matter how you may try to move, think, or act, there just absolutely seems to be no possible way out. These we see playing out right before our eyes with COVID-19, more popularly known as coronavirus. As we deal with the coronavirus, right now this challenge appears insurmountable as doctors and health officials scramble to find a cure and attempt to flatten the curve. Some challenges might be financial burdens so massive that you can't possibly see yourself becoming debt free. Listen, as a side note, while the stock market may like the $2 trillion stimulus bill, that money is coming from somewhere, and it has to be paid back. And guess who will get that bill? You and me. Or we may have challenges related to trying to get through to a loved one who seems to be hell-bent on going down the wrong path and headed for sudden destruction whatever your challenge might be, every now and then you get to a place where there seems to be no way out. It is at that place when the challenge seems so insurmountable, so impossible, so improbable that we need an encounter with the living God. So tonight, I'm gonna show you two things. I wanna show you first a challenge that couldn't, and secondly, a challenge That could, and it is with this thought in mind that I'll be speaking from the topic when impotence meets omnipotence. Let us pray. Father, we have now come to the preaching hour. We thank you, Lord, for all that has been done up to this point. Lord, we have offered unto you our bodies as holy, living sacrifices acceptable unto a holy God. Some of us, Lord, have offered even our offerings of gifts or resources unto you. Now, Lord, we need you to turn this monologue into a dialogue. Speak now through your servant, a word, a timely word for such a time as this. Bless your people right now, we pray. In the name of Jesus the Christ, and all together we say, Amen. When impotence meets omnipotence. There is a profound need in our society for a correct understanding of God. J.B. Phillips, in his book titled, Your God Is Too Small, gives some common distorted understandings of God. In his book, he says, number one, some people think of God as a kind of cosmic or celestial policeman who is looking for opportunities to pounce upon people who are doing the wrong things. That's one view that people have of God. Another view, he says, is where you see insurance companies in their references to something called acts of God are always using the term in the context of some catastrophic event, seemingly to give the impression that God is some kind of malevolent quality going around and just wreaking havoc upon all of creation. And third, he says there's also a view of God where God is almost grandfatherly, meaning he is conceived as a kindly old gentleman with a flowing white beard who would never want to detract from our enjoyment of life. These are just some of the ways that people like to think about God. But what does God really look like? And what is God really all about? Many errors have been made in attempts to really understand God. And while I can tell you tonight that I can't portend or even pretend to give you a a better understanding of God, I can tell you without hesitation that how you actually see and understand God in your life has a direct impact on how you approach and worship him. For many people, even referring to God as Father can be a problem if your image of a father is someone that is violently abusive and controlling. If that is your experience and if that is your reality, then every reference that we make in the church to God as father does not communicate a loving, personal, affectionate relationship, but instead may conjure up images of a belt, a switch, a fist, or even something worse. So as I stated before, there is a profound need in our society for a correct and a healthy understanding of God that is not distorted by the dominant culture or our society or anything like that, but correctly expressed through the the true essence as we find in God's word of who God is. My brothers and my sisters, God is great. And his greatness comes from the fact that he is a personal all-powerful, eternal spirit present everywhere within his creation and unchanging in his perfection. These great qualities are what we call the attributes of God. Now, there are two attributes of God that I want to introduce to you tonight. Number one, when we speak of attributes, we're talking about the qualities that make up and constitute who God is. The first attribute of God is what we call his communicable attributes. Now don't get lost, stay with me. His communicable attributes are those attributes that God shares with every person. His communicable attributes we see are things like spirituality, personality. We see holiness, righteousness, truthfulness, faithfulness, love, benevolence, mercy, and grace. All of these attributes you and I share and we have this in common with God. We can express grace because God expresses grace. We can express love because God is love. We can express mercy because God is merciful. These are God's communicable attributes. These are the ones he shares with his creation, with you and with me. But there is a second attribute that God shares with no one. These are called God's in communicable attributes. These attributes God shares with no one. Examples of these attributes, we, are, we know them to be God's omnipresence, means that God is everywhere at the same time. That's an incommunicable attribute that God shares with no one. We also know that God is omniscient, which means that he's all-knowing. God knows everything. This coronavirus did not catch God by surprise. God knows everything, and that's a communicable attribute, his omniscience, which he shares with no one. God also has what we know to be his omnipotence. He's an omnipotent God, which means he is all-powerful, and in his all-powerfulness, God does not share that with anyone. And finally, we know God has He's immutable, and his immutable attribute means that God is never changing. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And all of these attributes, they are incommunicable, and God shares them with no one now, out of all those attributes, the one that I want to focus on tonight, as we celebrate this Lenten season, is God's omnipotence, meaning His all-powerful self. And by omnipotence, again, I want you to know that what God is saying is that He has all power, and there is nothing that God cannot do. We see an example of God's omnipotence when 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 Sarah was told that she would have a son, and she was barren, and even while she laughed. God said, is there anything too hard for God? Meaning God in his omnipotence can do anything. But, 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 but there are some things, as powerful as God is, that he cannot do. And two of those things I'll mention right now. Number one, God cannot lie. God cannot lie, for he is not a man that he should lie. And the second thing that God cannot do is that God cannot go back on his word. Whatever God says he will do, he will do. God will make promises and God will fulfill all of his promises. So God cannot lie and God always keeps his word. And God shares these attributes with no one, especially his omnipotence. It takes omnipotence to open blind eyes. It takes omnipotence to let the dumb speak. It takes omnipotence to to open deaf ears. It takes omnipotence to calm stormy seas. It takes omnipotence to walk on water. It takes omnipotence to raise from the dead. And whoever that man is, that can do any of those things, he must be God because God does not share his incommunicable attributes or his omnipotence with anyone. But hold up a minute. Wait a second, pastor. I know of a man who opened blind eyes. I know of a man who, 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 who let the dumb speak. I know a man who opened deaf ears. I even know a man who calmed stormy seas. I know a man who walked on water. And guess what, preacher? I know a man who not only raised the dead, but raised himself from the dead. And that man, his name is Jesus. And so as far as I'm concerned, if everything that I've told you is true, that God does not share his incommunicable attributes. God does not share his omnipotence with anyone. Yet Jesus expressed the incommunicable attributes of God Then my brothers and sisters Let it be known unequivocally Without hesitation Without prejudice That Jesus is and always will be God So as far as I'm concerned Jesus has omnipotence Jesus has all power well, let's talk a little bit about something called impotence. Now, the dictionary defines the word impotence as lacking power or strength. It is a word mostly associated with the male libido and a man's inability to perform sexually due to some kind of erectile dysfunction. But the key thing I want us to latch on to with this word is that it's an inability to demonstrate power. Impotence is an inability to demonstrate power. In other words, it's a quality that renders one completely inept, unable to do anything that one might expect them to do. Saying this another way, when there is an expectation that there is something that you should be able to do and you are unable to do it, then you are impotent. When you can't perform according to an expectation, you are impotent. When you're depending on someone else to do for you what you can't do for yourself, you are impotent. When you are powerless, you are impotent. When you are dead in life or in spirit, you are impotent. So impotence is about being challenged to make something happen and you can't because you lack the required power to do it. So to make it simple, omnipotence is having all power And impotence is having no power. Now let's look at our text. Our text is about a showdown on a place called Mount Carmel between the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal. This happens to be a dramatic depiction of the first commandment. In his law, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. The same command is stated also in Deuteronomy 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So the Lord our God has already been declared to be the one, only true God, and there is no competition at all. Now what I want you to understand, my brothers and sisters, is that on Mount Carmel, Elijah's appeal to the Israelites was not about the fact that they had forgotten their god. No. Rather, it was that they were double-minded. They showed conflicting loyalties by wanting to worship both gods at the same time. They are limping between Yahweh, the covenant Lord, and Baal, the fertility god. This is an issue of faithfulness because they have broken their covenant promise to the Lord. For Elijah, this was not a case of both of, 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 of both. and. For Elijah, this was a case of either or. They could not worship both a lie and a truth at the same time. If Jehovah the Lord be God, he said, then follow him. If Baal be God, then give him your full allegiance the Israelites could not continue to serve both Jehovah and Baal this Same thing. This truth is no less true for the church today. We have our own idols. Whether we're speaking of our denominational affiliations, the church building, or even our particular brand of theology, to say that Christians are idolatrous doesn't mean that they dispense with worship. It simply means that they have chosen to worship other gods as well. We want God's life But we also want the good life, too. Listen, we follow a crucified Savior, but yet still expect an easy life. We seem to believe that we can pay homage to our many cultural idols and still remain or retain our integrity as God's people, like the Israelites. We want to serve both God and mammon to enjoy the blessings of God while also reaping the benefits of the world. You cannot have both. But trying to serve two gods is an oxymoron. Why is that, Pastor? It's like saying jumbo shrimp. Deafening silence. Pretty ugly. Walking dead. Run slowly. Big baby. Tiny elephant, small crowd, alone together. You get the message. You get the idea. So this double-mindedness, how has it been working for you, church? How has it been working for you trying to serve God on Sunday but serving man on Monday? This double-mindedness has caused us to get into problems with God. For the Lord, our God, he is one God. He is the one true God. And we shall serve no other trying to serve God who is omnipotent and serving Baal who is impotent is like bringing light and darkness together. This is what Elijah knew when he had set up this power encounter. Now I won't be too long, but but I want to get to this message because you need to hear this. First thing Elijah does in this power encounter on Mount Carmel, Elijah accuses the prophets of eating at Jezebel's table. I want you to hear what I'm saying, church. Elijah first accuses the false prophets of eating at Jezebel's table. Not only is this communion with an evil person, but that she is also a sponsor of these prophets. In other words, Jezebel was supporting these prophets. She was putting money in their collection table. And so they were supporting and eating at Jezebel's table. You, you, you know Jezebel's prophets, these so-called evangelicals, what they're doing in the White House. Yes, I said it. You know these prophets of Baal. The second thing that Elijah does, second thing, he came near to the people and he said to the people, listen, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. In other words, you can't have it both ways. And I'm speaking to the church. You can't have it both ways. The third thing that Elijah does is he dares the prophets. He calls Paula White and Robert Jefferson, Bishop Jackson and others to to go now and to get two oxen. He tells them, prepare one on their altar and then call on their God to consume it by fire. The text tells us that they call on Baal from morning till noon and their calling was not yielded any result. And so they were disappointed, but they called on their Baal. They cried out to their Baal, and nothing happened. The texts even tell us that Elijah started mocking them. Elijah said, call out with a loud voice, maybe for maybe he can't hear you. He, is saying either he's occupied or he's, he's gone inside, or maybe he's on a journey. Perhaps Baal is on a deep sleep and needs to be awakened. One translation puts it this way, maybe their God went to relieve himself in the bathroom. I don't know, but be that as it may, this no answering, no power, impotent God could not respond. And so, my brothers and my sisters, so too is any idol that you have chosen to serve. And don't say you don't have an idol because everything that you place above God where you spend your conscious time and devote yourselves emotionally, spiritually, physically, and completely is a God that you have made over God himself. That's your idol. Even your desire for a house, a car, a husband, a wife, a job, a career, an education, a family, as well as the inability to stop watching certain programs on TV, pornography, people-pleasing, you name it, are all idols that you have placed over God. So the prophets failed. They couldn't do what they think they could. And now it's Elijah's turn. You know... I want to tell you something, church. I've heard it said many times that we are looking around in this day and age for the Elijahs. Where are the Elijahs of the 20th century? Where are the Elijahs of today? Why don't we have Elijahs right now in our churches and in our worship? Well, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we're asking the wrong question. We don't need the Elijahs of today. What we need is the God of Elijah today. That's what the church needs, and we need that God right now. So Elijah, it's Elijah's turn, Eve. And Elijah then instructs the people to come near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Then he took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And with the stones he built and made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he prepared the altar with wood, cut the ox in pieces, laid it on the wood. Then to make matters worse, he had them fill four pitchers with water, pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood, not just one time, not just two times, but three times. So much so that the water flowed around the altar and filled up the trench. Then Elijah prayed. He prayed a specific prayer acknowledging which God, He was talking to namely the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and for the sole purpose of letting it be known that there is a God in Israel and that as his servant he was doing everything according to the word of the Lord. That's a message for the church. Are you doing everything according to the word of the Lord? I don't know. I'm not your judge but I'm telling you that if you're not seeing the fruits of your labor if you're not seeing the fruits of your faith if you're not seeing the fruits of your worship then chances are you just might not be worshiping the God you think you are worshiping Elijah also makes it clear by saying God is to answer so that this people may know that the Lord is God and with that the fire of the Lord fell And consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and even licked up the water that was in the trench. So when all the people saw this, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. America, you need to acknowledge that the Lord, he is God. God. Who is the God you're serving? A two trillion dollar surplus in Congress? That's not your God. You think of whoever is in the White House is your God? That's not your God. We need to turn back to the God of Elijah, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of all Israel of old. We need to turn back to that God. Now, you need to know, the text goes on to tell us that Elijah then captures the prophets of Baal and then he slaughters them. But the most critical part of the story that I want to uncover is that God did not respond to the prayer that Elijah said just to make Elijah look good in a contest. God responded because he could God did not respond to Elijah's prayer because he wants Elijah to look like a superstar. We have too many people in the pulpits trying to act like superstar. But I want you to know that God responded to Elijah's prayer because God could and he did. He is omnipotent and there is nothing, nothing too hard for God. So where is our faith, church? Where is our faith? Are we at the mercy of a virus Are we at the mercy of scientists and doctors? Did God make his good creation so that it would be wiped out by a virus? I am telling you, this is the church's finest hour this is the time to put our faith on display this is the time to let people know that whether you're on mount carmel or you're on mount moriah when whether you are on mount olympus or you are in mount vernon god is still god and he can still do the impossible no matter what that may look like god is almighty god is all powerful god is fully omnipotent and there is nothing too hard for God. He is a consuming fire. And when impotence meets omnipotence, there is always fire. So while this was a most dramatic and explosive demonstration, it has greater implications for you and me today in this broadcast. You see, the, the prophets of Baal were impotent because they were serving an impotent God, who has no power, no authority, no ability, and no way to make anything happen. Just like people today who think they know more about nature and how it works and think that they can manipulate the weather and do anything they want without nature responding. Yes, even with the coronavirus outbreak. But the power of God is not to be understood the way we see the Baal prophets trying to use it or even how we understand power. Power is an excessive force that can cause change. But power like that is very limited and there is nothing omnipotent about limited power. In fact, the word tells us not by might nor by power but by his spirit. This is why I said to you there is a profound need in our society for a correct understanding of who God is. If you have a poor understanding of God, then when things begin to fall apart all around us, all that we think we know will rob us of our faith. The world is literally standing still as we speak. You know what I'm talking about. The stock market is crashing. Employment is halted. People are isolated and people are quarantined. Scientists and doctors are baffled. Everything in life as we know it is changing. The foundations are crumbling, whether financial, physical, emotional, or even spiritual. And so the psalmist asks the question, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, you need to know that as human beings, you and I are impotent. We are impotent in that we were dead in our spirit, unable to save even ourselves. And because we are impotent and cannot do anything for ourselves, then we need to look at what the answer is in the psalm. In verse 4, it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. You must see God differently. You must know that your impotence has a hope in God's omnipotence. He is in his holy temple. That's where he is. And you and I, as people who are of faith, who believe... We carry within us the omnipotence of God as his temple. We need to tap into our faith and to see that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The world will do what the world wants to do. But what must the righteous do when the foundations crumble? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, mankind was doomed to a life of spiritual and moral impotence and the need of something to happen to change our course. And this, my brothers and sisters, as we celebrate this Lenten season, is the reason for the cross. For at the cross, impotence and omnipotence collided. The weakness of Jesus the man met the greatness of God the Father. And on that Good Friday, Jesus bled and died. But the day came and the day went. On the following Saturday, his mortal body lied in state in a tomb, and that day also came and went. But early Sunday morning, Jesus resurrected from the dead, and perfect impotence met perfect omnipotence. And the fire of God caused an explosion throughout all creation. And God declares, didn't I tell you he was my son? so when human impotence meets God's omnipotence there is no competition when human impotence meets God's omnipotence, there is no contest. When human impotence meets God's omnipotence, the fire of the Holy Ghost is present. Likewise, when darkness meets light, there is no fellowship. When evil meets good, evil has to flee. When weakness meets strength, power is released. When sickness meets health, healing takes place. When death meets life, The sting is removed. And when coronavirus meets Jesus, the pandemic is eliminated. So when you, who may be dead in spirit, meet the Lord Jesus Christ and have for yourself an authentic encounter with him, your spirit is quickened and your flesh is revived and you're able to breathe freely because Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So when you meet Jesus, your burdens and feelings of depression and despair, your powerlessness and the shackles and chains of impotence is broken and you are finally made free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and keep the faith knowing that the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven, and he and he alone will be our refuge, our power, and our hope for years to come. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved.